We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening. It's good to be with all of you. If you haven't met before, my name is Colin. I'm the pastor here at Branches, and it's just a blessing to be part of this community. And last week, we talked about um, life together and, and what it means to live in, in good life together. And we're completing that two-week series today, uh, talking about the reality of living life together. So we're glad that you're here for that as we kind of uh, have this on-ramp then into um, Lent, the season before Easter together. So again, thank you for being here today, especially as we got to celebrate uh, Junia's baptism together. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we thank you for this special morning where we experience your grace in the visible sign of baptism as we prepare our hearts to come receive it and experience it at the table and as we open our hearts and minds and our ears to hear a word from you this day. We ask that by your spirit, you would encourage us if we need it challenge us if we need it, spur us into a new way of serving others, or ignite in our hearts the love that only comes from you. We ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Like I said, last week we talked about in uh, life together, in Christian community, the way that Psalm 133 described it was good. How good and pleasant it is for kindred to live in unity. And we unpacked that psalm together to say, really, how good and pleasant it is for disparate, different people to sit shoulder to shoulder and worship God and serve one another together. And today actually is really, in a small cultural way, emblematic of that day. Some of you are like, how good and pleasant it is for chiefs and 49ers to live together in unity. Like, you can all worship together and then, you know, rail at each other tonight, you know, um, or for some of you even more, it's like how good and pleasant it is for, for you who love football and those of you who are like, I heard Taylor Swift's boyfriend is going to the Usher concert tonight, uh, can live together in unity. Uh, and so uh, together this morning, wherever you are and uh, you're, how much you care about uh, football or Taylor Swift or uh, the commercials, that's where I'm at, or the food, that's also where I'm at, uh, how good and pleasant it is for us to be together in unity, for us to sit shoulder to shoulder and again and witness baptism and to get to know maybe someone new today or maybe see someone we haven't seen in a while or maybe see someone that we need to reconcile a relationship with or to be in a place that we didn't expect that we would be and we look back on our life and say, look, this is where I am now and I'm so glad that God has drawn me and brought me here. How good and pleasant it is for us to live together in unity, for us to be in community together. Tov, that's the Hebrew word for good and good and pleasant, tov. And really the definition of it biblically is God's original intent for creating humanity. How good and pleasant it is for us to recapture that original intent God has for us as a community. So maybe I painted last week this rosy picture, and if you didn't hear that sermon, I encourage you to go back and listen to it, because it, it does paint a picture of maybe where God wants us to be as a community. And I imagine, and actually heard from a couple of you, like, okay, that sounds really nice, but that's when Tove, the ideal, impacts and collides with reality. What God hopes for the world and desires for us in community and how we actually live out community together often are entirely different things. True? 
That when we think about, okay, it would be nice if we all got along, but we don't get along. Ideal and reality. Expectation and hope versus rubber hitting the road in the everyday life of our lives. There's really just one thing I think that really gets in the way is what God is asking us to do is to be in community together with other people. And I think of no other way that we could describe it, and it doesn't sound very descriptive, but you know what I mean, that people are people-y. And you know people are people because you're a people. (laughs) And uh, people mess up and people break promises and people don't always tell the truth and people don't always come through when you need them to and people aren't always there and they're not there in the way you need them to be. And you know because you've done that and you know because you've been absent when you needed to be present and you know because someone else has done that to you. And that's really when we talk about how good and pleasant it is to live in unity. Really sometimes when we're praying that Psalm is how good and pleasant it would be if kindred lived together in unity. Because it's not always the case. People are people And some of the most people people in our lives are our families. Uh, the people that we grow up with and our parents and people that we spend the most time with and then people that we marry and then the, the kids that we have or the, the other circles we find ourselves in, the people people in our lives are our family. I'm reminded of a song I really like, Family is Family by Casey Musgraves, a great singer-songwriter. Uh, one album of the year a couple of years ago for Golden Hour. And in this song, uh, uh, Family is Family, on her, her record, Pageant Material, this is the hook, it's great. She says, family is family in church or in prison. You get what you get, you don't get to pick them. That across, across the spectrum, whether you're in prison or you're at church, you still have your family and that's who you get. Then she says, they may smoke like chimneys or give you their kidneys, Friends come in handy, but family is family. That the people that we don't get to pick to be around, the people as people, our families can run the whole spectrum of uh, their chain smokers apparently from Casey's perspective. I think she probably has a specific per- person in mind. Or uh, they can give you your kidney because you're blood related and you have the same blood type. My friend Steve out in uh, Memorial, uh, his brother gave him his kidney. It was like the concrete example of being family for someone. And I think we've all experienced that in some capacity, the deep depths and darkness of being with a family member and also the high highs and the, the resurrection power of having a family. The church is a family in some way. And I don't say that, you know, sometimes a workplace, of a, well, let's just revisit red flags for a little bit. If your workplace is like, well, we're just one big family, uh, that's code word for like, I'm gonna use that against you to manipulate you and make you feel bad, you know? Uh, well, we're a family, you have to come in late notice, you know? Uh, we treat other communities like families, as chosen family. Our friends in some capacity are our families and really uh, the church is a family. That's what Psalm 133 is talking about. That's what the New Testament talks about. That's what Jesus came to create was a new sort of family. And we treat church and actually our blood families and our our families at home in the same way. You know, uh, pastors have this thing about like Christmas and Easter only people uh, that go to church. I only come on Christmas and Easter. And I feel safe saying that because you're here today and it's not Christmas or Easter. Uh, just so you know, maybe you showed up, you're like, oh crap, I only go on Christmas and Easter. I thought today was Easter. We're still several weeks away. Uh, 
We do this in our families too. Like we have family members that are like Christmas and Easter only family members, you know? Like we only see them twice a year and you're like, that's enough, you know? And I say this with the fear of God because my sister is here this week. Uh, And sometimes we are Christmas and Easter only people and we can both agree I think it's probably not enough. But there are some people for which Christmas and Easter is plenty. (laughs) The church is a family and what it is, the wonder, the mystery the honestly foolish thing God has done is that he sent himself in Jesus to create a new family. And that's where we show up today in the book of Acts is the beginning of this new family. The beginning of this new family is after Jesus has resurrected, has risen from the dead, uh, he leaves the keys in the hands of people he's witnessed fail betray one another, betray him, uh, go after things that they shouldn't go after. And so we find ourselves in Acts chapter two, this disparate, different family and what they do together. So Acts chapter two, two, starting in verse 42, it says this. They, meaning the early Christians, the very first Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. We see this new Christian family birthed in the book of Acts. And if you read back just a little bit, it's made up of Jew and Gentile. It's made up of rich and poor, of male and female, of slave and free. And they're sitting together and they're doing four things. We can kind of boil it down. They're doing four things together. They're devoting themselves to teaching, to receiving input. They're in fellowship and community together, sharing all things in common is the way that Acts puts it. They eat at a table. That's the third thing. They, they share at a meal. And, and we, of course, do that. We have the spiritual meal of God's grace at the table. They also like actually had dinner together. Uh, the uh, King James says they supped together. So they supped together. That's the third thing. And they prayed together. They devoted themselves to prayer. Again, the, the wonder, the mystery is that God said, the way that I'm going to heal the world, the world is messed up. The way I'm going to heal it is to create a dysfunctional family. And from the first century up until now, there are people, and I've been that person, and it depends on the day. Sometimes I am that person. I'm like, I already have one. (laughs) You know, I don't want to be part of another one. And God says, no, let's invite more people into this dysfunctional family because it teaches us how to be together. Not a, a, a nuclear family, not a Western understanding of family, but again, like Psalm 133, disparate, different tribes of people coming together in unity as one to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to come to the table, to be in fellowship and sharing with one another, and to pray. Eugene Peterson, I've been quoting him a lot recently, uh, who wrote the paraphrase, The Message Bible. Uh, He says this, this is a kind of harrowing and embarrassing thing for me. He says, the biblical fact is that there are no successful churches. What he's saying is, in the Bible, you will not find a church that could be classified as 
successful. Which when I first read that, I was like, then what am I doing? You know, <laughs> why am I even here? But what he's saying is, honestly, if you start in Acts where we started today and you keep reading, it's not like all like, oh, it's how nice they're at the table and they're fellowshipping together and they're praying together and they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and from then on, everything was great. You don't have to read very far to see everything wasn't great. That, that from Acts 2 onward, they continued to do those things and it continued to draw them back together. That as they went out, they came together and sat at the table and they prayed together and they devoted, them, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. But it wasn't perfect. There are no successful churches. In fact, if you continue to read in the New Testament, past Acts, the majority of the New Testament is people writing letters to unsuccessful churches. <laughs> Ones that had strayed from their original intent, from the tove, from the good. Ones that are doing things they ought not be doing. There are no successful churches in the New Testament. But the good news, what kind of reminded me like, oh, this is why I'm here, is that we're called not just to be successful or successful at all, but to be faithful to those four things. To be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to pray together, to share meals together, and to fellowship that is radically share ourselves with one another. There's kind of a few examples of how this plays out now, uh, different than the first century, but also similar to the first century. The first is devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. I want you to know that when I preach on Sundays, and I want to say it is, it's not always the case and never perfect, that my goal, my main goal in teaching is to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. That in many ways I want to repeat, maybe in a fresh way, what the apostles taught. And what the apostles taught was just mimicking and repeating what Jesus taught. I wanna devote myself to the apostles' teaching. And you know, as you've maybe tried to study the Bible or as you're studying it right now or as you begin to study the Bible in Lent, it's inexhaustible. You have more questions than you have answers and more resources and opinions from scholars than there are solid single opinions on it. My friend Todd is a pastor in Oklahoma City and for the season of Lent, they were studying the book of John together and they asked every small group and every Sunday school class to study John's gospel together. He discovered, however, he was the discipleship pastor, so he oversaw this, uh, a Sunday school class that was not doing the Gospel of John. They're reading some like pop psychology self-help book, which is good, but not what they were trying to do as a community. And so we went to this leader of the Sunday school class and he said, look, you guys can do this another time and maybe like inject some spirituality into it, please, hopefully, maybe. But would you, with the rest of the church, like as a community, read the Gospel of John with us? And the, the leader of the Sunday school class says, we feel like we know all we need to know about that. I was like, I wanna meet this guy. Tell me about the Gospel of John, <laughs> you know? has this exhaustive knowledge of what's in the Gospel of John. We devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching because we cannot exhaust it. Second, this idea of fellowship, of sharing together. I think I would boil this down to, uh, we are not ourselves without each other. I am not myself fully. I'm not fully Colin without Landon. I'm not fully Colin now without Roscoe, which is a, a miracle, an amazing thing. And branches isn't fully branches without you. That we miss a piece of our full identity when you're not a part of our community. Uh, C.S. Lewis said something similar on the event of one of uh, the deaths of his one of, his, one of his friends, excuse me. He said this after his friend had died. He said, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Hence, true friendship 
is the least jealous of loves. Two friends delight to be joined by a third and three by a fourth, if only the newcomer is qualified to become a real friend. They can then say, as the blessed souls say in Dante, here comes one who will augment our love. For in this love, to divide is not to take away. There is a friend or a family member or your spouse or a partner or whoever else in your circle that without them, you wouldn't be you. That's what was happening in the book of Acts. They shared all things in common and they were incomplete without one another. Third is they shared a meal together. Most churches point to this table. It's like, okay, we do that. We have communion, maybe once a quarter or once a month. But here we do it weekly. That's the meal. But also literally shared meals together. I just concretely want to encourage you, like go to lunch with people from branches after church. And it delights my heart deeply to like go to Chewy's or to local foods and like see some of y'all having lunch together. Like you're biblically obedient when you do that. <laughs> like good job. <laughs> But not just that, we share meals with others, again, disparate people, people different from us. This past, um, this past week, I had the privilege of serving a meal at our Gethsemane campus at Wednesday Night Fellowship. And it's a picture, a concrete picture of what happened in Acts. People that I wouldn't normally be in a room with sharing a meal together and celebrating and worshiping God together. Fourth is prayer. Uh, of course, uh, prayer is important to me. And I, there's a lot of resources out there about, about praying. And I wanna encourage you to pray. And we did a whole sermon series on prayer and what it means to pray. And I encourage you to look at that or to ask for resources on prayer. There's stacks of books on the lamp in the cry room back there that are prayers or resources about prayer. But prayer is our recentering the, to the source of who God is and what God desires from us. Uh, Carl Barth says this, he says, it is prayer that puts us in rapport with God and permits us to collaborate with him. If God's goal is to make this new family, we should consult him about it. <laughs> and that's what prayer is. And it can be adapted all the way down. People ask me like, okay, if I'm in a small group, what do I do? Well, uh, you devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching <laughs> and occasionally you gather around a meal and you fellowship together, you share of yourself with another and you, you, you make it so that without that other person, you wouldn't fully be you. And then at the end, you pray. Okay, um, my wife and I are trying to grow in our discipleship together. What should we do? Uh, you devote yourself to the apostles' teaching and you share meals together. You might already be doing that one. Good job. And uh, you, you share each other. You share of yourself with each other and you pray together. Okay, um, me and some guys want to get together and learn more about Jesus. What, what should we do? Well, you devote yourself to the apostles' teaching and you share a meal together and you fellowship with another, give of yourself totally together, and then you pray. It's really, really simple, but not easy. It can be adapted then to say this, of all those four things the apostles do and what we wanna do as a community at Branches and we think about how we share our life together, it's this. It's about returning to the good. It's about going back to the original intent. And here's what those four things do. One, teaching takes us back to Jesus, like Sunday school answer, but the right answer. That devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching reminds us of who planted this family in the first place. Second, to fellowship together. It brings us back to each other. We live in a hyper-individualistic culture. And the church is the forefront resistance to that. We need each other. And it takes courage and bravery, especially in America, to say, I need other people. 
I'm not self-sustaining. I'm not an independent, self-made person. I'm a dependent person. I'm dependent on others. It brings us back to each other. To share a meal together brings us back to the world. That is, it brings us back together with people who aren't at the table yet because it's a universal invitation. There's a table and a seat for everyone. And fourth, prayer. It brings us back to ourselves with God. And we find in ourselves, as Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. That in prayer, we rest and we reset and we recenter ourselves on why we're here at all. That's what we do in our life together. Uh, David Brooks uh, wrote for the... Uh, the New York Times uh, wrote, you know, uh, several books ab about character. Um, the Second Mountain, really, really good writer. I know many of you have read him before. And I saw him say this one time. I thought it was really interesting. He says, culture changes when a small group of people find a better way to live and other people begin to copy them. That's the model that's presented in Acts. This small, we forget, it was so small. This small group of people decided they wanted to live a different way and then other people started to copy them. Or as Acts put it, day by day, God daily added to their numbers. This small group of people decided to live a different way in resistance to the way that other people wanted them to live and people began to copy them. If we, in resistance to what we're formed to do or what we're taught to do, devote ourselves to teaching from another and not just self-centered, this is what I want to do, people begin to copy that. If we don't uh, sit at uh, meals by ourselves and refuse to invite other people into the circle, people will begin to see that and begin to copy that. If we begin to fellowship with people, share fully of ourselves vulner vulnerably, courageously, bravely, people begin to copy that. And if we pray, as clumsy as it could be, as, as cobbled together as you may feel your prayers are, people begin to copy that. I lied at the beginning of my sermon today. Uh, I only read part of the Eugene Peterson quote because I hadn't heard the rest of it, that there are no successful churches in the Bible. Uh, he says more. He says a lot more. He's written like a dozen books, maybe more. Uh, it's not just that the biblical fact is there are no successful churches. He goes on to say, there are instead communities of sinners gathered before God week after week in towns and villages all over the world. The Holy Spirit gathers them and does his work in them. In these communities of sinners, one of the sinners is called pastor and given a designated responsibility in the community. The pastor's responsibility is to keep the community attentive to God. Uh, first, I read the quote and I was like, what am I doing here? Then I read the quote and was like, am I doing that? <laughs> am I making us attentive to God? And I'll say the model always will be, and I'll just draw us back to this over and over again that we at Branches, and I'm saying this to see if you wanna be a part of it, and I invite you to be a part of it, that we're gonna devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, that is we're gonna draw ourselves back to Jesus. We're gonna fellowship together and find radical, daring ways to give fully of ourselves, whatever that means to each other, that so much so that without each other, we can't be ourselves. We're gonna to eat together, and we have monthly taco lunches. What a blessed vision it would be that we had tacos after every Sunday, every week, amazing. <laughs> Uh, let's set that goal. Let's aim for that in mind, you know, uh, because sharing at a table, something happens when we eat at tables together and we're gonna devote ourselves to prayer together. That's how we're gonna stay attentive to God. 
That's how we're gonna share our life together. That's how if you wanna host or lead a small group, how we're gonna do it together. That's what the model for Manly Men is. That's the model for, for Abide. That's a model for every teaching series that we do, for every, for every group that we do, for every class that we do, is to go back to Jesus, back to each other, back to the world, and back to ourselves centered in God. That's my invitation to you. Let's, let's do that life together. It's simple, but it's not easy, but together it could be easier. Thanks be to God for that. Let's pray. God, add to our number, not for our sake, but for your sake, that daily, that weekly, that monthly, over the course of the year, more people would experience your love and grace and your warm invitation to be in a community with people that are unlike them, that think different, and vote different, and look different, and seem different, and dress different, because we've decided together we wanna to be attentive to you. Draw us back to the teachings of Jesus. Draw us back to each other in this community and reconcile our relationships. Draw us back to the world and the neighborhood around us. And then draw us again, over and over again, to refuel ourselves and fill ourselves with you to prayer. Remind us of that in every moment. If we stray off course, correct us. Help us resist success and embrace the faithfulness you call us to. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.